You understand what I'm talking about? Because heaven don't want us, and hell's afraid we'll take over. And you said one thing right after, no, we're not the same. We're a lot better, and you're going to find out. Hey, dirty dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, event status radio. They're recording again. <laughs> Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? Recorded live in the main event status radio offices. Recorded live over the airwaves here in Heeltown, USA. This is main event status radio. I am the dirty dog, Darcy, and as always, joining me is... The Jesse Ventura on the podcast of the airwaves is the only, only Mr. Beverly Hills from Beverly Hills, California. How's it going, Mr. Beverly Hills? It's going well, man. I'm ready to talk about some villains. I am too. That we decided for the month of December to take it a little bit easy for for us since with both of our jobs, this is the busiest time yep. of the year. So we so I thought instead of reviewing shows or YouTube clips or daily motion stuff, that's a beautiful chick, by the way. No, you know who it is? It's the ultimate baby face. Because <laughs> it's a baby. It's baby Jesus. <laughs> Out of my activity. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, we we yeah, we decided to take the month of December off to instead of do reviewing shows, we still produce shows. Talk, you know, just us, you know, recording, uh, recording a show of just what you and I talk about, like right. off air when we're not actually reviewing a show. Yep, I, and I think it's a good time of the year to do that. Uh, just give give you some good present wrapping, uh, some present wrapping radio. <laughs> conversations that we be having this week and next week could be something that. We used to do when we were back in college and all that, and you whatever you come up it. to vi- come up and visit me after you graduated <laughs> from college and, right and all on. that. So this would be like an hour or so glimpse of what Mister Beverly Hills and the Dirty Dog is like when they hang out. Sure, sure, sure. So what's our so what's our subject for the day? We so, kind of have alluded to it, but what is it? Go ahead. So yeah, we we decided to do a mini event status extra. We're doing on a particular topic. Yep. Our topic for today is. Happy Heel-ween, the top five <laughs> heels in our opinion. Well, did I a, make that up or did you make that up? You made that up. Happy, what is, sorry, you, you Skyped a little bit. Did, you, did it. You, made that, you made that up. Awesome. Awesome. God, I'm great. <laughs> okay, Jeff Jarrett. I am a heel. <laughs> So yeah, we yeah uh, we thought. Well, I guess you thought of why not talk about the top five heels and I guess in, in each other's opinions and all that. And yeah, I know we were talking about it. I think one of the last times we chatted on Skype, I think off air. But to you, when it comes 
comes down to it, how do you define and how do you define a villain in professional wrestling? I think the villain is to define it. I think it's just the person that the fans are de- or the person that is designed for the fans to boo. Okay. How about you? Because I guess that's one thing that. I guess I feel like over time nowadays it's kind of harder to to define or to put your finger on it because I feel and we were kind of talking about it before off air a couple of shows back, but I think you know like you said that it's the person that like you said is designed to be the bad guy on TV, yeah, like the yep. horseman back in the day. But I feel like nowadays with the advent of the internet, with the advent of wrestling podcasts, journalists, etc., that Fans boo who they want to boo, not necessarily who the promoter wants to be the bad guy. I don't know. I feel like that is that's a common opinion on the internet, but I think that's internet patting themselves on the back. Okay, thanks. So. A little much. I do. I think at the end of the day, uh, it's still generally who who's supposed to be what and. Fans can turn people, sure, but I think the idea that fans cheer who they want and boo that they want is extremely overrated. And I think when you, even when you watch these like very kind of alternative crowds, whatever, like in the big metropolitan markets, still you're going to see for the most part that the fans are going to uh, both for who they're supposed to and boo who they're supposed to. Okay, cause I, I think for the most part. I guess I wanted to talk about that because obviously John Cena nowadays is, I guess the last decade or so, it's been uh, perceived as the company's baby face, yet a lot of the fans have been booing him a lot. So I guess that's why I wanted to talk to you about that you know see if it's the right again even i was yeah i was gonna say though like even at his most kind of i don't when he was getting the least amount of support which i'd maybe put at well i don't know what do you when do you think was his lowest point of fan support I really don't want to say nowadays, but I want to say probably maybe. I wouldn't say I wouldn't even say close to nowadays. Maybe five years ago. I well, I don't. You can. You're better at this than I am when we talk about years. When was his feud with Randy Orton? That oh, where it that, seemed like they had thirty matches in a row. I want to say was oh, that in eight oh nine ish oh ten? That's so right around. So a little yeah. over five years ago. Okay, that sounds right. I. I was around that era, and that's when I would say that he was at his lowest of popularity. And I would say even those days, um, he still, I think, had the majority of the crowd in his favor. But Fair I don't enough, know. Yeah, I, I feel like we've I feel like we've veered a little bit. Yeah. No, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess at you know we emailed back and forth. I had a t- well, it's a tough time coming up come up with my list because. I necessarily don't look at the guys who I like in professional wrestling as, you know, by the traditional boo or 
nay kind of stuff. So that's why I was having kind of troubles coming up with my list for for the top heels today. We See, and want- I guess, and, and I was wondering when you were sending that to me, because I was like, that's not the point. This isn't your top five favorite people Fair or enough. least favorite people. You can like heels. That's totally cool. And you can respect for what they're doing. That's the point. It's not like the five least favorite people you've ever seen. It's the five heels. So yeah. I guess that's Makes yeah. Sense. That's what I was going for. Makes sense. And yeah, you mentioned after you, you had some criteria for the top heels. Yeah. Well, I thought there. In my opinion, I put four, down four things that for me make up a great villain uh, in wrestling. And we can chat about each of them. My first one that I put down was talking ability. And I said that talking ability for a heel is almost necessary. It's like almost, I feel like the ability to run down the hero um, to make it uh, believable that, you can beat them um, and the ability to talk people into arena to see it is really important. What's your opinion on, on talking ability for a, for a villain? I totally agree with you on that. Just going over, looking through my list. That yeah. I feel like the, the five guys I, I have, have that ability to, to, you know, that talking ability that, you know, if it to yeah, to be able to get the fans pissed off enough to yeah. want to put money down to get see them get their get it in the end. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's exact. That's exactly what I'm talking about. The yeah, the ability to want because if if I don't care to see you get beat, then why would I pay a ticket, buy a pay per view, whatever? And I feel like when we look at Weak heels, that's what it is, is people just don't care enough to see them lose. Yeah. And I mean, that's, we, you know, when when we eventually next week talk about heroes, that's the flip. People have to want to see you win. This one they want need to want to see you lose. Yeah. Um, okay, so my second one, this is one that I feel like is like an either or thing. And I call this... The punchability, well, let's start with that, punchability factor. This is, you gotta either look like or make me want to punch you in the face. <laughs> oh, yeah, Total, totally that. You know, but I feel like, you know, the, the guy or gal needs to come across on screen or in the arena that you want to jump through your TV screen or computer or whatever else, jump the rail into you. You want to punch them in the face because of whatever they're doing, whatever they're saying, however they're acting. Yeah. So that's, that's the, this is like one side of it. And you can be really successful as a person, as a, as a villain who is just so, frustrating or grating or whatever that you want to punch them in the face. Now on the other side, if you don't have that factor, I think you need the, let's call this 
the movie monster factor. A person who's so scary that you wouldn't even dare try to punch them because you're afraid they'll eat you. Example, when I was 10 years old playing WWF Warzone on my PlayStation and being scared yes. to scared to poopless when Kane yep. challenged me on the game and the only thing you heard or using a burning warehouse and the only thing you heard <laughs> in the background burn in hell yes burn in in hell. Hell. yes exactly now he has none of the punchability thing right yeah like he's not gritting on you he's not frustrating you whatever but he makes up for that and he in that scenario is a great heel because you're so scared as a 10 year old that you want your hero to get him away to get him off of the TV screen. Right. So that's like, I feel like that's one of those dichotomy things that a great heel have no skinness, you know, those really kind of like chicken shit heels, right? Like they have no scariness. You're not scared of them, but they do something that makes you so mad that you want to see them lose. Whereas, Oh, the canes of the world, I don't know, the big the King Kong Bundies, whatever. They're so frightening that when your hero finally does vanquish them, it's it's so I don't know, so yeah, gratifying. You're happy to see them lose. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like we can sum up all all of my criteria with like you want to see them lose. Yeah. Right? Like at the at the end of the day. Okay. So my third one, third of four here is this this one might be really a personal thing but for wrestlers cuz I do have a couple of managers on my list but for wrestlers I feel like they need to wrestle like a heel fair yeah which okay. I totally agree with you on that which I know would be a, a talking point on my list okay and the, and this is one that is probably the biggest one where I could see people disagreeing with me but in my opinion, the villain should not be doing anything cool. Yeah. And have no the qualities. Yes, exactly. And yeah, and this is when we're talking in the ring, especially. They shouldn't be the you know, when you watch it, if you were in outer space and then you came down or in outer space we bring up this match to you you should be able to watch it no no announcers no crowd and you should be able to know who the villain is and who the hero is and i feel like that's the villain's responsibility that's the heel's responsibility to be the one to cheat to rake the eyes to hold the count to throw the person outside of the ring i feel like that's an important Part when I match. Yeah, I totally agree with you that if, yeah, like example, well, I guess we'll we'll talk about the examples later on with both of our lists, but yeah, that a guy that, you know, is a baby face and turned heel, he shouldn't yeah. do something different from when he was a baby face to make you want to boo him instead of cheer him that you used to do a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, there should really be a marked difference in how they carry themselves, especially in the ring. Like, for instance, and I, I feel like I'm safe using this as an example because I feel like he's not on either of our lists. But if you watch Eddie Guerrero in 1996 and then you watch him in 1998, his style is completely different. And he still uses the frog splash as a finisher, but all the things in between from bell to bell are going to be different. Yeah. Funny so. thing is that he Eddie Guerrero was going to be uh, one of my honor, oh, really? honorable mentions. Oh, funny. Okay, yeah, cool. Just, just because, you know, since he got brought up, might as well talk about it, that I really loved his heel run in 2005 before he passed away. He, he, and he had multiple awesome heel runs. That 05 one, the one um, that eventually resulted in a face turn, but when he was, like, stalking China or whatever, yeah. his his run in 97, 98... He had he had a lot of really good heel runs, and neither of us saw his heel run in Mexico with the Gringos Locos, which I'm sure maybe he would be on our list that way. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, that just uh, like in 2005, since yeah. I saw him take on Rey Mysterio at Judgment Day 2005 in Minneapolis, and I feel like you know, like what you're saying too, that when Eddie Guerrero turned heel. He changed up his wrestling style. He changed up his promo ability. He, or well, even for that run in 2005 as a heel, he changed up his theme song to say, "Hey, oh yeah, I'm a I'm a heel. You know, don't cheer me like you used to do a month, two months prior when I was taking on <clears throat> Rey Mysterio, Mysterio at WrestleMania 21. You know, when we were battling out, we're having a match as friends. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. I think I think that's imperative. Okay, and then my last criteria for villain, I called this, and I told you I, I thought this would be a good theme for it. This is called the pencil-thin mustache factor. <laughs> this is the, you know, just the act. They, they have just the air of being bad around them. I, I added note that they're just the kind of person that would knock a kid's ice cream cone on the ground and laugh at him. They're just that kind of person. They're yeah. just bad. Well, kind of know? going back to Eddie Guerrero, I felt like the 2005 <laughs> heel run, for you know, since I uh, touched upon it before, I feel like the 2005 mm-hmm. heel run, he would he would have done that. He would have walked up to Raymond Studios' yeah. kid, you know, Dominic, yeah. hit the ice cream cone out of his hand <laughs> just because it brings some pleasure. Well, I mean, he did the thing, right? He went up to him and said the I'm your poppy thing right to his face, right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's what a bad person does. You know, they, a good person would talk to Ray about it or whatever or keep it to himself. A bad person does that just to get the laughs out of him crying in his face, right? Yeah, so. Which brings, a, brings a, about their awesome ladder match at SummerSlam 2005, yeah. you know, the custody ladder match or whatever for yeah. Ray's <laughs> <Right>. kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so I have some honorable mentions. I heard that you do too. Why don't you list off your mentions for us? Okay, we, I'll see Eddie Guerrero was one of mine. We already talked about it. Talked about it. Another thing that I didn't mention when uh, talking about Eddie was he blamed well, it wasn't his fault for acting like a jerk. He blamed Ray for him turning heel because he, because Ray's the one that wanted to wrestle him, see who was a better man, and Eddie got pissed off, and it's all Ray's fault. 
Oh, and that's a good, oh, that's a really good one when I think this maybe would like be lumped into, I guess, the punchability or maybe even like to the Pencilton mustache flaunt. Just like not taking responsibility for their heelish actions. That's so good. That's such a, a good one where they they do bad stuff and then they just are like, no, it's not me. It's the other guy or whatever yeah. for that. Totally. Then my second honorable mention in the last one is Triple H. Okay. That I feel like, you know, he can put on a great match with almost anybody from the late 90s to early 2000s period, all that. And the McMahon Helmsley storyline from 99 to 2000 made me as a fan hate him even more. That it's like that he was only in the WWF title picture because he was with the boss's daughter. Right on. And, you know, to put another example that in April 2000, when I think it was in Penn State, uh, when he lost the, w- the WWF title to Chris Jericho on Raw because he was having, uh, Trip Punch was having a feud with Earl Hebner on pushing him around, beating up the referees, and Earl did a fast count and gave Jericho the win, and Triple H threatened to break Earl's, Earl's arm if he doesn't reverse the decision. And I feel like in, at that night on Monday Night Raw in Penn State, that pushed Triple H up at more of a, as a heel. On, he's willing to threaten physical abuse to a referee just to get his title back. Yeah, yeah that's right. Hurting, hurting non-wrestlers is definitely big-time heel moves. I would have preferred if he had threatened to break Earl's heart, as you started to say. That would have, that would have been better. Yes. I will I will lead you on a romance, and then I will let you down. Earl will break your heart. Break his heart. Um, okay, so I got four on my honorable mention list here. And I'll get through them pretty quick here. My first honorable mention is Michael P.S. Hayes. I thought, you know, one of... You gotta, I'd say, probably top five uh, promos of all time. Um, really was able to talk people into the crowd to want to see him lose. Um, just a person who just came across really sleazy, really greasy, uh, and yeah. Well, just and and I don't know the the crazy part is that he was like in his early early twenties well, when he was doing this, and he came across like thirty five. <laughs> well, yeah, because I know you know talk about you know tying in with our with our YouTube series that we that we finished up last week with the six man match that we reviewed. With oh the, yeah, you know wearing the Confederate flag robe. You know, oh yeah, that's a heelish heelish move. Like not so much in Minnesota or New Jersey in the AWA. No, it but, is. I would say it's a heel move in New Jersey and Minnesota. It's not a heel move in well, Georgia. Tech, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you kind of flipped it there. What a my <laughs> my, uh, my apologies. It's okay, but yeah, that it just yeah. Well, like you said about uh, Michael Hayes being so young, I listened to a, well, you probably tease me for this, but I listened to a interview with Michael Hayes on Steve Austin's podcast a few months back, and when Michael talked about. Joining the WWF in what ninety five ninety six as Doc Hendricks, right. he yep. was only like thirty five at that time. And That's so crazy. When, when he said that, I was my jaw dropped on the floor at work. Like, what? I thought he was a lot older older than that. He's like, I thought he was in his early forties, at if not mid forties yep. at least. I I think yeah. I don't know. Well, lesson for all you children: 
that's what happens when you live your life like Michael Hayes lived his life. <laughs> you you age a tad quicker. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's what, what that's, you get, that that's what you get when you're a free bird. Yeah, you you put you get out what you put in. Um okay. So my next honorable mention was the team of Edge and Christian. Oh, good choice. Um I thought they were very uh very smarmy, very um you know, uh wanting wanting people to see them lose. Uh the thing that bumps them down from the main five to just my honorable mention is I don't think they wrestled like heels. Uh, and that might be a more of a product of the time. Um, but yeah, they, I think just on like interview ability alone and backstage skits, they're probably in the top five, but um, their matches, although great, like very, very good. Um, that's the part that bumps them down. Yeah, they, they weren't the, classic villains in in the ring. Yes, definitely. They were a different kind. They were a different kind of villain. Just not up my alley. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, My next honorable mention, or my last two honorable mentions, I'll just list them together. My last two honorable mentions were Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle. Um, Lesnar, I feel, has has the movie monster factor to a T. He looks like a freaking sea monster. (laughs) Um, well, especially nowadays with one of his ears yeah. being uh, cauliflowered or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right? Just everything in general. He he just comes across just like a, well, they call him the beast, and that's, you know, true. Um, and Angle, he had it both. He wrestled really, really down and dirty like a heel, and he had um, just a really interesting charisma to uh, to back it up, so well, yeah. Angle definitely had the mic skills too to be yes. able to back it up, and for the most part, Brock Lesnar always had Paul Heyman there as his mouthpiece to mm-hmm. piss people off enough to want to put their hard-earned dollar down sure. to pay-per-view or tickets or now that network to watch Brock Lesnar lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Because I mean, like without uh, without Heyman. Um, Brock can sometimes come across as a face. Yeah. Know? Just because he, he toes that line between being, like, dominating in a bad way and dominating in an impressive way. And, you know, when he tips over to the dominating impressive way, well, then he's a face. Then he comes across as a good guy, you know? So it's a delicate balance. And Paul Heyman helps pull him back to the heel side. Definitely. So you might as well get into the list and all right, just, the list proper. Just just because this is a main event of the podcast, I have to yep. <laughs> open up a can of yellow yellow. Fantastic. Okay, my number five, which I know definitely isn't on your list. Okay. Do 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 John. Bradshaw Layfield. Oh, okay. You know, I would have recognized it if you would have went. Ding, 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 ding. No, <laughs> my favorite part of his theme song, the cow. I, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have to pick JBL just solely for his, well, I guess, JBL character from 2004 on. Uh, I feel like his transformation from Bradshaw to JBL in was April of 2004 was unexpected and I felt like great. The 
I was watching YouTube videos this past week, week and a half, kind of get, getting my list together, and I watched the video of when he trans- transformed from Tag Team Bradshaw to JBLs when on SmackDown, him and uh, Ron Simmons' APA had to win a Tag Team match on Paul Heyman's SmackDown to, yep. keep, to keep their jobs, and they lost. I don't remember who took the fall, but they lost. I think this was just a way to have Ron, Ron Simmons off from wrestling and so he that so ron simmons was about to walk out and jbl was trying to talk, talk him into why not stay why not stay let's figure something out to keep our jobs and so he kind of planted the seeds of jbl turning the heel and yep. I, I feel like he became the modern day million dollar man you know i guess yeah and was, i oh sorry i guess i just felt like he modernized that character yeah i thought i thought the jbl character was tremendous uh, i don't i don't fault you for putting on that li- on your list at all i thought he was he was great uh as just like ah how does he still have the title how does he still keep it you know that kind of thing and um yeah although his you know his matches didn't really back it up but yeah. uh his character work was unpard so. well i feel like you know with how you said that oh how do you keep his title mm-hmm. i feel like him having the heel group with the cabinet mm-hmm. worked great yeah. for him to work great for the faces to work through just to get get to him and one and i think the i feel like the thing that really pushed it over the edge was when the one and only time i actually hated the jbl character for maybe a week if that was when he was when he first turned to heel and was having the angle with eddie guerrero and at a house show, I think in Eddie's hometown or right, right on El Paso, where Eddie's mom was there, they had a "quote unquote" heart attack angle uh, <laughs> at a house show that they taped, at least for that that clip where Eddie's mom was in the ring celebrating with Eddie and JBL. I think pitted his hand on her shoulder or whatever, and she faked a heart attack right then in there. And and, and I remember my brother Nate asking me because yeah, we you watch you know SmackDown together then, and I remember Nate asking me if I still like JBL afterwards, and I felt guilty for liking him after <laughs> that. So I'm like, okay, I think the heart attack caused her, Darcy. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, I think I need to not like JBL. So I just feel no, like, no, like no, you it. said, the mic ability in you know, that modern day million dollar man. In the heart attack angle with Eddie's mom, JBL has to be my number five top heel. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so you said it for your number five. I'll say it for my number five. I know that my number five is not on your list. My number five is a manager. My number five is Mr. Ron Wright from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, I'm very sad it's not Jimmy Hart, baby. Oh, God, of course. Why, why would it not cause another reference no <laughs> so in 1992-1993 Smoky Mountain Wrestling um, I watched it I've watched this over the last year or so he is so good so I'm sure just for you I'll give you backstory. some people probably know but so he was a, an old timer wrestler from the 70s 80s and uh, he, so he comes out like the third episode of Smoky Mountain and, and he's sitting down and he's like got a, a blanket over himself and he's like so sad. He's like over the, you know, my 20 year wrestling career, uh, I gave everything. I was involved in all kinds of brawls and, 
you know, now I'm all beat up and I need everybody to send in their dollars, send in their money so that I can get a wheelchair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, that kept up over the next few weeks and it started getting, and, oh, and I guess the backstory is that he's always a bad guy, always a villain. And so then the promo started getting more and more like derisive toward the fans. He's like, you aren't sending it on money how am i ever gonna get my wheelchair how am i ever gonna do this and i thought this was such a creative character because like how just interesting to make a guy wanting donations for a wheelchair the villain right (laughs) and then like so he during matches he would like roll out to the ring and he would like (laughs) so the and then the heels would like come over to him and like pat him on his shoulder, he'd like reach under his blanket and give him like a um a hammer or you know, just some type of foreign object, and they'd win the match that he'd wheel away. And I feel like, you know, he's such a he was such a good heel that cause who's gonna punch him? You know, you want to, you wanna see somebody <laughs> you want to see somebody give him his comeuppance, but he he's in a wheelchair. He's an old guy in a wheelchair, right? And so I give so much credit to him and Jim Cornette in making him a hateable character in that. And uh, yeah, through those first couple of years of of him in in Smoky Mountain, you know, managing various people, mostly the the dirty white boy. Uh, he was tremendous. Well, so. kind of like you know, tied in with Eddie Guerrero that I liked your choice for him, blaming the fans for not sending in enough money yeah. for he can get a wheelchair. So it's uh, the fans' fault for where he's at physically. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, or oh yeah, and he, and he wanted like sur- He was going to get like surgery or something too. Like that was the that was the other things he needed money for but yeah so you laughed but when you said you brought out a hammer i had i don't know why but i had a hammer <laughs> hidden in one of my desk desk drawers so i pulled that out and Just showed it to you and you laughed so i guess Just that makes case. me a heel but my number f- <laughs> all right my number four thinks he's cute he <laughs> knows he's sexy all right on. and he doesn't make doesn't make her ankle hurt he see is. that's what i thought you were going for with uh, i'm cute so, but then when you said things of sexy instead of got gold medals, then I knew. <laughs> My number four is Shawn Michaels because okay. I feel like especially, you know, the late up to him going out for four years and, you know, from 97, 98 was Shawn Michaels on TV that I wanted to see get beat up, even though he was my childhood hero back in 95, 96. That, right. And I know it was your favorite, but yeah, for sure. That I feel like he used his short backstage on screen to get what he wanted, that he lived out on screen, the jerk that he was being backstage, <laughs> that nobody nobody could outperform him. He doesn't care people boo him. He doesn't care people cheer him. He knows that people pay money to see him perform and turn paying money to see him get beat up. That I don't know. I guess just how he acted as a yeah. prick in that 97, 98, I really can't, trying to put a finger on exactly what I guess like when he was going to fight Mike Tyson on Raw uh-huh. 98 and we're just going to rip Mike Tyson's shirt and he did and reveal the DX shirt right or when 
they had like an outdoor thing of Bob before WrestleMania 14, and they tied up my, uh, Steve Austin's arms in the ropes, and they were about to punch him. Michaels, I think in Triple H, Michaels and Tyson, they kissed Austin right on the head, top of the head. <laughs> just stuff like that yes. makes me want to. It's just so frustrating, right? I just, as a fan, like, okay, if, the, if he, he somehow outsmarted, you know, his babyface opponent yeah. and all that, I want to see how his babyface opponent is going to respond on the pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. I've been to that square, by the way, that that, that uh, ring was set up in. Oh, in Boston? Yeah. <laughs> is it is that area really that big? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's it, it, that's in like the old old downtown. Okay. It's right down, yeah, right down with all the very historical buildings. I, just, I felt like that little whatever they did made it seem that much more unique. Yeah, for sure. I think I always think it's a good idea when they put stuff in non-traditional settings. By chance, did somebody throw uh, I think a D-volt battery at you like they did to Shawn Michaels that that, that day? I, I was not hit by a by a D battery. That's Luckily, true. and neither was Mrs. Hills. I am very happy to hear that, Mr. Beverly That's Hills. Good stuff. Okay. My number four um is the nature boy Ric Flair. Uh yeah, put up the four. Ooh. Um Yeah, just kind of a person who I I would say really influenced heels for still to now <laughs> in how they act and how they uh, carry themselves um, in kind of the non-wrestling uh, parts of the job and, um, you know, just in kind of his playboy type role and character. Um, yeah, he's not, so he's not hired because I feel like he was so good at what he did that he ended up making people like him. Yeah. And I just, I just felt like he had too many redeemable qualities and he just seemed so damn cool that you wanted to be friends with him. Yeah. And, and that's the only thing that keeps him from being like number one. And maybe if I were in 1985, uh, and, someone, you know, flaunting their, their wealth and stuff would have, you know, upset me more, but, and I can respect that, that he's a, he was a, a villain, but man, I just, he was so darn cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, to tie it in with Ric Flair that I don't think I ever told you this to tie it in with my number five JBL. I wrote in a question to JBL that feed that was, answered in a SmackDown magazine in 2004. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, the, the was it about Ric Flair? Yeah, WWE magazine put out a, I think, Q&A or whatever to the fans, to the readers to say, if you have a question for JBL, we're going to be doing a Q&A session with them and email in or write in your question and it might get answered. So I, so I did and I asked JBL, if you could face anybody from the you know, past or present, this would be like 2004, who would it be? Sure. And he answered Ric Flair because Ric Flair was one guy he was never able to have a match with. Okay. And it, I feel like it'd be interesting. You mentioned, mentioned the 85 Ric Flair. Be interested yeah. to see a 1985 Ric Flair taken on a 2004 JBL. Oh, man. I don't th- I think it would show you 
how different the quality of 1985 versus 2004 is. Well, especially the heels, too. Yeah, I think Flair would talk circles around him. I think he would wrestle circles around him. I think Shinbiel would look very, very bad. Definitely. But I'll not going to touch more about Ric Flair. So okay, okay. My number three is the man that was inspired by Nick Bockwinkle in two thousand eight. Okay. okay, the man with a thousand and four holds. Oh jeez, Chris Jericho. Oh jeez, he was inspired by Bockwinkle and took the one thing about him talking slow. Wearing suits <laughs> and wearing suits. God, but, that's his whole gimmick. I wear suits and I talk slow. Ah, oh, so unfortunate. I right, knew God, for a fact Chris Jericho this. wouldn't be on your list. I knew for a fact you would crap all over Chris Jericho. <laughs> Sorry. So I had to put him on my list just to hear you crap all over him. Well, well not, tell not, me why you think he's good, though. I, I liked how he changed his character, you know, for instance, back in 2008, that... You know, I'll talk about other heel stuff too with him, but I feel like him turning heel on Shawn Michaels because Michaels lied to the fans on faking a knee injury against Batista after he retired uh, Ric Flair. And, you know, him calling out Shawn Michaels about that and Michaels not caring, and fans not caring that Shawn Michaels lied to them about it. (laughs) So stuff like that, you know, him, you know, it, it morally bothered Chris Jericho. And him, you know, turning heel and throwing Shawn Michaels to the, the Jeritron 5000, him, you know, ha- wanting to have no redeeming qualities, him, you know, go from tights to, or, uh, yeah, tights to shorts, or I know you told, told me. How, so heelish. Whatever. <laughs> he, 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 yeah, he went from tights to trunks. He pushed yes. Michaels's, Michaels's fight, a wife in the face at SummerSlam, yep. uh, and him back during the, his way into winning the world title at, I think, Unforgiven 2008 or wherever. But I, I think also in his uh, heel run in WCW was, what, 97-ish or so? I feel like, you know, yeah, he, 97, yep. yeah, he had no redeeming qualities back then to blame in the faces, blaming the fans for not being behind him and him acting like a jerk. Sure. Right on. So hey, I respect it. You well, know, kind of thinking of it, why do you not like Chris Jericho? Uh, mostly to get your skin, which works. <laughs> yeah. Um, for I guess like really, he's just kind of like like blah to me. It's not that I I s- dislike him. He just doesn't really move the needle for me. Um, he he was good in that 97, 98 run that you talked about. Uh, I guess I found him annoying, which is the point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is the point. So I respect his heel run there. I just, he never did anything for me. He just always, when he was supposed, I guess like a big thing was when he was supposed to be a hero, he came across annoying to me. Too, because like I, I always thought his jokes were super lame, like so, so cheesy and just so like oh, oh you're gonna call Stephanie McMahon a dog? Oh, that's supposed to be funny, Ugh. you know, like that kind of stuff. I thought so. Him trying to 
be like a baby face really didn't do it for me. You mentioned that. And then kind of everything after that. Yeah, you mentioned his 2000, Sorry. 2000 feud with Stephanie, Stephanie Avin, you know, calling her a dog and everything else. And so, uh, I don't know, I was, let's see, 12 at that time. So, you know, you were a few years older than me. So, you'd be about 14. So, you'd be, yep. I, feel like, uh-huh. I feel like I would then, have been in, like, high school, yeah. So, I feel like then Jericho is doing sophomoric humor. Yeah. yeah. So, do you feel like it was just that you were, you were past that? Why you didn't like Jericho's sophomore keywords? I don't also? know. I don't know. You know, a lot of stuff that WWF writes is geared toward 12-year-old boys because I feel like Vince McMahon is just a person who really aged past 12-year-old boy. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, I really do. Um, but maybe. Uh, I don't know. I just thought like. And even, you know, I'm, please, like, I don't like sophomoric humor. I love, you know, like, Anchorman and Step Brothers. And I, in 2000, I was probably the biggest, like, jackass fan in the world. So it's not that I was, like, some highbrow type of person. Uh, I just thought his jokes really lame. And I know you mentioned before, and I can. You know, some interviews or some songs of his, you know, with Fozzie, I can see where you're coming from, but you like that at times you don't really like his voice either. <laughs> his voice? Sometimes. Sometimes it frustrates me. Okay. Uh, I liked his book. Yeah. When you gave it to me, I really enjoyed that. Oh, his, his first, first one. Book, yeah. I've, never, I've never read any of the other ones. I, I read but. the second book. I liked it. I have uh, two two copies of his third book, just haven't gotten around to reading it yet. <laughs> Why do you have two copies? One, well, one. That's amazing. Uh, one that, is, you're such a true fan. Uh, his third book came, I think, was released on my birthday, so I pre-ordered it, and got it sent out to me on my birthday, like last year or two, and you know, that was completely fine. Just having one copy, that's cool. That I was at, you know, the Saint Cloud Barnes and Noble one day, just you know, thumbing around books, just to kill time. Went to the sports section. You know, to see what kind of wrestling books that they had, and they had you know Jericho's third book there. So I pulled it out, you know, just just because, and saw there's a sticker on the cover. Okay. Autographed, signed book. Oh, okay. And like, Fair. I can. I don't know when I'll ever be able to meet Kurt Jericho to get his autograph. So I'm just gonna buy this book, and just so I can say I've, I have his autograph. So. Oh, I I totally get that. I get that. Okay. Yeah. That oh. totally makes sense why you would have two then. I I take back any incredulousness that I had. That completely makes sense. Okay, who who's your number three? Uh my three is another manager, uh another person involved with Smoky Mountain, uh, Jim Cornette. Jimmy Hart baby. Still, still not Jimmy Hart baby. <laughs> Donnie Jim Cornette, baby. <laughs> I like Jim Cornette a lot more than Jimmy Hart baby. <laughs> Oh, I, you know, probably if I met them both, I'd probably like Jimmy Hart more. But wrestling <laughs> personality-wise, only thing I gotta say is "Keep on Dancing." Do 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 do. I don't remember what how the, the song goes. What song is that? Who's that for? That that was by the band that Jimmy Hart was a part oh, of. Oh, okay, the Gentry. The Gentry's, yeah. Okay, all right, right on. Was he the singer? Yeah, he was the singer. Yeah. Sweet. I guess um, we hate school. Rock and roll. We hate school. 
<laughs> if one of my students sang that song to me, I'd probably give him an A. Just for like ever. Just like if you know Jimmy Hart and the first family, we hate school, A. You don't even have to come at this point because you're just so legit. Too legit to quit. Too, super too legit to quit. So you said Jim Oh, uh, okay. Jim Cornette. Three. Yes, Jim Cornette's my number three because he really hits all of my criteria outside of the wrestling one, but he's not a wrestler. So he was awesome on the mic, really good at, at talking his um, charges up, uh, talking down uh, the baby faces. Um, really want you know, made the fans just want to see him get his comeuppance and see his his interference backfire or him hung above the ring in a cage or something like that um yeah i just think just the consummate just oh just really get under your skin type of heel well you know talking about you know, him being on the mic i know you yeah you give me crap for being able to listen to a bunch of podcasts at work and all that. Yep. And I mentioned before I, I listened to his podcast yep. because he talks about, you know, wrestling and politics and all that. And I feel like if there's anybody who's a complete opposite of me, it's Jim Cornette. Okay. I was just gonna say I can't imagine you whoops. Oh jeez. <laughs> that you know oh, that God. that Jim Cornette, you know. Talks a mile, talks a mile a minute, and all that. And me personally, I said the podcast. I don't. I'm not a hot mouth like Jim Cornette. He's a atheist. I'm a Christian, and yeah, he's a Democrat. I'm already more towards a Republican, and just stuff like that is what drives me. Uh, why I enjoy listening to Jim Cornette's podcast because he makes me want to think about, you know, think about things like that. Um, and all that fun stuff. All right. I'm sorry for that <laughs> distraction. No, that's oh, God. I, I was just saying that Jim Cornette's my person, the opposite of me that he, well, yeah. you know that, yeah, he, you know, Jim Cornette compared to me, he's a mile a minute when he talks. Yep. Right. He's an atheist. I'm a yep. Christian. And yep. he's. He's li- a southerner. You're a northerner. He's, he's liberal. liberal you're not. Yep. He's liberal. I'm conservative. So yep. I enjoy hearing him. Hearing him talk about you know things that he's for because I'm usually against and it's interesting for me to hear somebody who with a different opinion give me reasons why he believes what he believes make me think about what I believe. Well, you are an advanced species that you can listen to someone who you diametrically oppose and and you can get through it. That's yeah. that that speaks to you as a as a person. Um, I can't say I am that advanced. <laughs> if someone is super on the other spectrum, other end of the spectrum as me, I probably couldn't make it through one hour long podcast, let alone listen to it weekly. So yeah, plus you know if Kudos I you. if I didn't have the time and job to be able to listen oh, to sure. this podcast, I'll totally won't listen. That but, makes sense. All uh, right. So my number two. Right on. Who's your number two? Brother. Has to be one of the guys who got, what well, is the guy that got me into professional wrestling? Brother. Has to be. <laughs> Brother love. I love you. <laughs> I, was watching, I was watching Survivor Series 90 and Roddy Piper keeps calling him Blubber Love. Okay. <laughs> no, my Sorry. number two isn't 
brother love. It's Hollywood Hulk Hogan, brother. Right on. Because, you know, we talked about it before in the podcast and, out, you know, outside of the podcast that for the longest time as a heel, or as a face, Hulk Hogan always acted like the heel. You know, the back's great, the you know, back, back rakes, the eye pull, <laughs> uh, having lust in his eyes when he looks at Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> I feel like when he turned heel in 96, WCW, Great American Bash, wait, the Bash of the Beach, I'm sorry. Bash of the Beach. I always get, I always think about our Great American Bash of the Beach tour. Uh, <laughs> that Bash of the Beach, that I feel like Hogan's heel run was fit him perfectly because he, you know, in the ring he'd be able to wrestle how he seemed to always act on screen. Okay. I feel like, you know, you know, I, you know, also he helped change the industry in 96 for the good that his character was, uh, up was needed for a change and got that. And we talked about it before with our death of WCW series, but I, I, I remember watching on the July, 1998 Monday night, Watching, cheering for Bill Goldberg when he defeated Hulk Hogan mm. for the WCW title. Yep. And it was one of the only times that I, you know, with my brother Nate, I was willing to sit down and turn off Raw and turn on Nitro to see Hogan lose because of all the heel antics Hogan did, you know, being, being, being the villain, doing the, you know, cheap work, having Goldberg go through the NWO just to have a match with, with Hogan. Right. Spray painting his opponents after the after his game beat them up NWO on their back or whatever else. Hulk Hogan has to be my number two. Right on. That's good. Yeah. He's and and his all all of his heelishness is really compounded on the fact that he was um, a hero for so long. Yeah. And and that's really where that really comes from. Yeah, that yeah, we all saw him as the hero, the guy that would never change, and guy who had a heel never run. let us down, right? Yeah, he kind of had a heel run before he joined WWF in '84, but nobody really remembered that. Nobody saw that. Nobody ever thought he would turn villain again, but he did, and it was awesome. People wanted to see him as a bad guy and see how his character would change. Right on. Okay. So, who's your number cool. two? My number two is. Again, with like the scary factor, the Undertaker. Oh uh, yes, yeah. Uh, I th- and I thought, you know, through his whole career, through his different incarnations, he's he's been a heel many different times, and he's done different things with it, and he's shown that he's um, capable of really kind of doing it all. He's capable of being the you know, the silent monster type. He's capable of, you know, leading a heel stable. He And then he was capable of of doing the kind of bully role in the, in the 2000s. So uh, he was able to change. He was able to adapt um, and, you know, still carry kind of the heel factors with it throughout his career. So, yeah, he's my, he's my number two. Well, yeah, I talked about his Ministry of Darkness days. I... Yes, I like going back now and watching the '99 you know, Raws or pay-per-views just to see the cult leader of the Undertaker, which I because I feel like he yeah. was completely different to I guess modern days Bray Wyatt on leading a heel 
faction like that. Sure. Uh-huh. And, and I thought... Oh, oh sorry. Go, go ahead. No, go, no, you go ahead. Okay, I was just going to talk about this 2002 bully, bully run. That, oh, I, okay. Then can I talk Then can I talk about his ministry? Yeah, go ahead. Deal? Since we were talking about that. And, like, it's... And he is so different from, from earlier. I, like, he did... You know, such a good job at being being like what we hear, you know, stories of like what cult leaders are like. You know, he's he's charismatic. He won't he won't fight when he could put one of his minions in to fight for him. So there's this cowardice factor behind it, which I put that really, you know, really good nuance to it. Um you know, yeah. Okay, well, so yeah, well, go ahead. Well, look at the, I think it was the fourth edition of SmackDown that we reviewed. Yeah. Vince won the WWE title that he, him and Big Show were the tag team champions. And Undertaker sat on commentary and had yes. Big Show defend the tag team title all by, or t- titles all by himself. And mm-hmm. Undertaker got pissed off towards the end of the match that Big Show couldn't, can't remember who he fought, t- or Kenny and X-Pac or some, somebody, some team like that. Taker got pissed off that Big Show couldn't beat them by himself, so Taker went in, came in at the end and <laughs> did what he needed to to retain the titles. That's right, I recall that, yep. But yep. Talk, talk about his Booger Red uh, days <laughs> or oh whatever. God, that was such the dumbest name, <laughs> but I'm so glad that you brought that up. Oh, that, you know, praise his, to you for Booger Red, but... Down votes to Jim Ross for coming up with that stupid name. But yeah, his you know two thousand one, two thousand two American Badass bully gimmick. I I liked it because you know we saw you know him come back as uh, you know the biker good guy and all that. It was interesting to see how to see him turn heel the night after Survivor Series two thousand one, telling Jim Ross to kiss to join the Mr. McMahon Kiss My Butt Club because. Undertaker is the bi- is the biggest butt kisser of all, and you know shoving Jim Ross's face up McMahon's butt and turning the heel and <laughs> just being the just being the big bully on screen and all that to one match is bully Ric Flair into having a match with him at WrestleMania 18 on beating up David mm-hmm. Flair I think it was David Flair or Reed Flair one of the two at the at the WWE Performance yeah. Center or wherever else so. Yep. I I I enjoyed the Undertaker greatly as as the the heel bully guy, right? And he was just such a jerk, right? Like <laughs> he was just it was oh, he was just like so mean. And like when he when he had that match uh, with Jeff Hardy, where Hardy almost won the title, like you know he was he was just such a turd, and uh, I, he was such a booger, right? So that I think adds to the you know. The heelishness of it. So yeah. Yeah. So we might as well get to the number ones. Of All the podcast. right. And you already rated him very low, Mr. Beverly Hills, on your list, which brings a I tear. Did. Which okay. brings a tear to my eye. Oh, okay, cool. Ric Flair, because, like you said, that he was, you know, he, in the eighties, he played the wealthy man. You know, with a, a little bit of world class that we reviewed about a year ago in WCCW, you know, him having the wealth to put a bounty out on a, on a wrestler. To, oh, yeah, Carrie. Yeah, you know, to say, hey, I'll give you guys money, even though I won't admit to it on screen when being called up. I'm willing to put a bounty on. I'm willing to put a bounty on Mr. Beverly Hills if one of the listeners can take <laughs> him out. 
or you know him having the horsemen to have Dusty Rhodes run through, have Sting run through to get oh, to sure. him to for the world title or whatever else, and he found many ways to cheat to win. Mm-hmm. He bragged you know, he bragged about the money, bragged about the women, and how he how he could have the women, he can have the women any night of the week more than the viewer at home. <laughs> yeah, and, true. And now you know I I get a good chuckle out of it. I go back to want to watch those promos, watch those matches, but I feel like kind of like what you were saying earlier with Ric Flair that if I was you know in 1984 Dallas watching him on my TV screen while I'm watching World Class. I would, I probably would not, I probably would want to put money down to see him lose because he's breaking that he has more money than me when I'm working hard, putting in, sure. putting in long days at the mill, trying to you know make a dollar for my family, and so it's just that you know. Um, would you say that you'd be going through hard times, if you will? Hard times, Daddy. That the computer put me out of work. <laughs> so it's just Rick, you know, Rick Flair. I feel like you know if. You know, trying to go back in time. If I was growing up when he was a heel in Dallas or in, you know, mid South or the Carolinas or wherever, I feel like I would want to boo him because he cheated. He flaunted what he has that I don't because he has what I don't have and what I want. So I feel like like, you know, Ric Flair is the you know the heel that people should strive to go for, you know, guys like Rick Flair or guys like Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho say that, you know, Rick Flair influenced them as a fan and what, you know, got them into professional wrestling. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a great pick. That's a great pick. Okay. My number one. Now this is, I don't know. This is probably just like a personal thing because I feel like when you think of like greatest heels, you don't think of this guy. You might think of just like in favorites or like greatest wrestlers, but you don't think of like great heels. But let's freak out, freak out. Uh, my number one's Macho Man. Um, be a man, Hulk. Don't be a screw. Yeah. You're rooting for Macho. That's what I heard. Yeah, I thought, you know, especially his run between WrestleMania's four and five. Or I guess really since Survivor Series and yeah. and WrestleMania five um, was just awesome, and and also his run before WrestleMania three facing Ricky Steamboat, um, that he could carry it promo wise. He could carry. He was awesome in the ring during this time, um, and, and he, you know especially in the when he was just being a jerk to Elizabeth. Um, I just thought. His his work was really bar none and and couldn't really be topped. Uh, I just thought talk I about, thought he was tremendous. Yeah, talk about Macho and Miss Elizabeth. Was it WrestleMania Eight? Is when he him and Ultimate Warrior had the career versus career match and and I rented that videotape for right. two matches. That match and the Hogan Savage match and well, uh, he couldn't have faced both or, of them. Well, and Hogan Slaughter match. My apologies. Okay, got it. That, it's okay. I just wanted to. I just feel like the, the the Savage Warrior match was ten times better than the, than the Hogan Slider match oh, yeah. because of Savage. You know what he's able to do. You know in the ring with the Warrior and his character as the Macho King and all that. And and at the end with Miss Elizabeth coming down and taking out Queen Sherry because Queen Sherry was freaking out that Savage lost and <laughs> she lost her meal ticket. So yep. just you know with his. Some of the promos I watched of Macho Man on YouTube of him as a Macho King, I, mm-hmm. I loved that. I feel like he 
No, yeah, the, Macho King is underrated, I think. Yeah, the, I feel like yeah, there isn't much love to the year and a half or so when he was the Macho King on being an awesome character. And I know we talked about this before. Again, this is him being a baby face, but the, his whole storyline with Jake the Snake and the, the, the <laughs> King Cobra bit Savage's arm and wanting to let go. I, yes. You know, <laughs> but, yeah, that's the baby face stuff. But I guess yeah, his heel run was great and all. Hogan, you have lost in your eyes for Miss Elizabeth. Lost in her eyes. Yes, uh, yeah, for sure. Oh, man, just awesome. You're in the danger zone. Yeah, I I just love him. I, I really do. Macho Man, don't be scared, man. One of the greats. For sure. Well, all I think all the ten that we listed, or I guess nine that we listed, were the greats. Oh, yeah, take go Chris Jericho, Jack. No, 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 no. It's because we doubled up on Flair, oh, turd. Oh, whatever, Daddy-o. <laughs> God. It's always against Chris Jericho. Jeez, but. you just, like, so defensive. I didn't even tell you what I meant. Golly. I'm sorry, David. It's okay, dude. Anyway, we might as well... Do we have do we have any last words for the podcast? Um, if you aren't familiar with any of these uh, folks' work, I would say get familiar with them because I would agree with all of Dirty Dog's picks. I think he'd say that most of mine are really good. I like your um, choices, so, the people I did not know did not know. Right, so even you can do some homework then. I would just say that, like, yeah, do it. Go, go for for the all these folks because they're they're great. All all of them, for even sure. Christian. For sure. So we also do plugs to the podcast. Yeah, guys can listen to us on multiple different ways. One at, yes. at a web at a website, minimumstatus.com. That's minimumstatus.com. We're also on SoundCloud. You know, search us out there or go to soundcloud.com slash status radio. Again, that's soundcloud.com slash status radio. And Mr. Beverly Hills, there is a third way that you listen to, which I dig. What is this third way? <laughs> right. Well, it's the, yeah, it's the easiest way for me. I don't have to type anything in. I typed it in once. I hit subscribe. I listen on iTunes. Um, I, I, say iTunes is the easiest way to listen to us all you got to do is just hit subscribe and it comes to your podcast feed uh, whenever we upload it so uh, go for it I, yeah do it man Yeah, hit the subscribe button right comment us, subscribe yeah, right us, review us tell a friend to check us out to download subscribe all that fun stuff you guys can interact with us on the social media accounts one on Facebook Facebook.com slash Radio. Hit the like or whatever button there. Like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio. You guys can also interact with us on the Twitter machine. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can they interact with you on the Twitter? You can interact with me at Beverly Hills M-E-S. For me, it's at Dirty Dog M-E-S. That's dog as in D-A-W-G at Dirty Dog M-E-S. And for Mr. Beverly Hills, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Adios, man, inventors. All you fans, I hate everyone.
one of you. You come to the main event spectrum on Saturday night, and I'm going to punch every one of you in the face, and then I'm going to get Dirty Dog, and I'm going to bring him out to you, and I'm going to punch him in the face. Ah! Welcome back, everybody, to WWF New York. Don't forget, it's all going to happen in Madison Square Garden for the first time ever. Raw is war in Madison Square Garden on Monday night, September the 22nd. A limited number of good seats are still available. I suggest, folks, you get yours today at Ticketmaster Outlets. There's going to be a massive, over-the-top rope battle royal with a huge list of superstars with the winner facing the WWF champion for the title at the next Garden event. And what about the WWF title matchup, Triple Threat Rules, Bret Hart, meets The Undertaker, and Shawn Michaels, who is standing by with Michael Cole. Raw's War returns to where it all started, New York City, but this time, Shawn Michaels, it goes to Madison Square Garden. And you're in a Triple Threat matchup with Bret Hart and The Undertaker. Should be an extraordinary event, to say the least. Well, of course it's going to be an extraordinary event, because I am in it. You know, I was sitting at home in San Antonio... And my phone rang, and on the other end of the line was Vince McMahon, and he begged and he pleaded. Sean, he said, we need you to come to Madison Square Garden. Why? Because the fans want you, because I want you, because the only way to make sure that Madison Square Garden is filled to the rafters for Raw is War <laughs> is to put the heartbreak kid on the show. So believe me, New York City, whether you love me or you hate me, you know you're going to come see me. And you know what? You may see me walk out the new World Wrestling Federation champion. Sean, what is it about Madison Square Garden in New York City? What brings the heartbreak kid to the garden? Well, I think it's the love and the admiration of the New York City fans. It's either that or the hate and the loathment of the New York City fans. See, no matter how you slice it, you know where you stand in New York City. They're not wishy-washy. They're not sorta. They're not kinda. They're not iffy. They either love you or they hate you. And to be perfectly honest, I respect that more than somebody who says, I sort of like him, I sort of dislike him. I don't care if you boo or you yay, as long as you're there. And believe me, when the Heartbreak Kid is in town, everybody is always there. Why? <laughs> it's the place to be. When this cat is rocking the house, everybody knows that everything else is second to the Heartbreak Kid. The number one man in this business is coming to New York City, to Madison Square Garden, to fill it to the rafters, and to give you people a show that you never get to see, except when the Heartbreak Kid is in town. Much more time than anyone else. That is our show. Good night, everybody.